helicopter seems to be circling the parking area now. I guess it's looking for a place to land. No, something just came out of the back of the helicopter. It's uh, a dark object. Uh, perhaps a skydiver plummeting to the earth from only 2,000 feet into the air. There's no parachutes yet. I can't tell just yet what they are, but... Oh, my God, they're talking! Oh, Johnny, can you get this? Oh, they're crashing to the earth right in front of my eyes! Why just went to the windshield of a parked car? running around pushing each other oh my goodness oh the humanity oh, people are running about uh, the turkeys are hitting the ground like sacks of wet cement folks i i don't know how much longer the, the crowd is running for their lives i think i'm going to step inside i can't stay out here and watch this any longer no i can't go in there children are searching for their mothers and oh not since the hindenburg tragedy has there been anything like this I don't know how much longer I can hold my position here, Johnny. The crowd... Les, Les. Les, are you there? Les isn't there. <clears throat> Thanks for that on-the-spot report, Les. Just tuned in, the Pinedale Shopping Mall has just been bombed with live turkey. Film at 11. Welcome back to Who and Company. It's episode 64. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. Our guest this month is a returning guest from all the way back from episode 15. Reality Bomb podcaster Graham Burke joins the company to discuss his Doctor Who origins, lunch with Philip Hinchliffe, and why Pyramids of Mars is better than you think. Then we turn the dial and tune in to Graham's pick of the month, WKRP in Cincinnati. We discuss its enduring appeal, the finer points of music copyright law, and its crimes against turkeys. And all that's coming up right after this. Booger. WKRP in Cincinnati. We'll be back after this. Johnny Sunshine. I remember. Yeah, it was Los Angeles in the late 60s. Johnny Sunshine boss Jack. Hey, you were uh, you were very hot, man. Yeah. Something happened there, though. Station fired you for some reason. Well, I'll tell you something, baby. They all fire you sooner or later. <laughs> Yeah, no, but this was something that you, uh, something you did. Yeah, well, we all do things, right? Uh-huh. That was something that you said. Yeah. Booger. What? I used the word booger on the air. That's right. Yeah. I was making about a hundred grand a year out there. Then one day I said booger. Bunch of bozos called the station. Next thing I know, I'm in Amarillo hosting a garden show. Our guest this month is an author and co-host of the Reality Bomb podcast, which recently has celebrated its 100th episode. Graham Burke, welcome to Who and Company. 
Ah, thank you. It's 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 a pleasure to be here. Uh, long time, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> you know, actually, I probably should say, Graham Burke, welcome back to Who and Company. That's because right. oh, uh, that's right. So we did have you on uh, a while ago to talk about um, Who Against who? Guns. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. So that was that was four. Mm-hmm. Years ago, four years ago, and it was one of those things where we certainly didn't intend to just have you on to talk about that very important subject, but then not bring you back. And it's sort of like, yeah, we, uh, the list of guests that we've had, you you and Joy have both been on there, and it's sort of like, oh right, we need to bring them back, and so we are. Oh, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear. That. I know you had more important people to talk to before me, so that, that's 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 all fine. I, I I know you had Stacey Smith on to go talk about Millennium and things like that, so you know it's fine. You know, have Stacey on to talk about her little X Files spinoff. That's that's cool. <laughs> but not X Files itself. We haven't had anyone to talk X Files with, which is impressive. That's true. Yeah. There's actually quite a few shows that uh, I would have at the beginning of this podcast bet good money that we would have discussed before are we in season this is season five or six six (laughs) yeah (laughs) well as a fellow monthly podcaster reaching now what i think episode 64 i gotta say uh on the 100th episode that's very impressive oh thank you very much thank you very much we're we're, it was uh I, I, I was, for one, just shocked that it actually happened because when I did this thing, I just thought, well, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll get 10 episodes and I won't look too embarrassed for a Doctor Who podcaster if I've only done, if I've done 10 episodes. Because, most, let's face it, most Doctor Who podcasts, the life expectancy is two episodes. So, you know, you do one and you think, oh, this is great. And you do the second, you go, oh, my God, this is too hard. <laughs> um, and uh, so, you know, I, I kind of thought, well, if we can get to a respectable double digit number like 10, or 12 will be good so 100 is kind of like really shocking to be honest yeah we i don't i don't know we had any kind of expectations but it certainly wanted to do double digits and it was like well you know the first five are under a belt at least we got to get a a full year in wouldn't that be amazing (laughs) to say we had a doctor who podcast that lasted an entire year let alone six so yeah uh i i think it's nice to be able to talk with folks who could appreciate the accomplishment of, of is, so sort is. of a, a level of longevity because it's not easy. I say this as someone who doesn't edit anything. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm speaking for Brent when I say it's not easy. <laughs> well, at least it's only once a month, not once a week. Poor Steven. Yeah. <laughs> he knew what he was getting into. Probably yeah. not. I imagine. Yeah, I think the rewards are are worth it, and the rewards are I don't I don't don't know. there are no rewards. Wait a minute, what am I talking about? Well, <laughs> then he's a sucker, I guess. Um, but I love you, Stephen. I'm only joking. I I mean there are rewards. There's absolutely um, the fact that we on a on a fairly regular basis get to talk with individuals about something that we love who we might not normally get a chance to chat with. Like, you walk up to somebody who you, you've always wanted to have a conversation with, and you go, Hi, I'm Drew. I really liked you on that show. Do you mind talking to me for an hour? That's probably not going to get you very far. It might even get you thrown out of the convention. However, you say, Hey, I'm Drew. I have a podcast. We would love to have you on an episode. Would you like to talk with us for an hour? Surprisingly, less police get involved. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Like, the first time I met Drew... Security was involved. It, oh it, yeah. It, it, yeah, 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 and and rightfully so. 
Yeah, my <laughs> God, the amount of paperwork I had to fill out afterward. Jesus. And then you came back and asked me to come back on. I don't know what you were thinking, but I'm really glad that you did because uh, uh, it's going to make what happens next just that much easier. No, huh? it's, it's, so, it's so true. It's so true. I, 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 apparent, apparent, the fact that this man has a has a snowball microphone is, is apparently my doing. Um, so... Yeah, no, and I we've probably mentioned this before, but I probably would not be doing podcasting on a like I would I'm just not gonna say professional level because people have listened to this <laughs> podcast before. But yeah, uh, Graham's like, hey, would you do something for the podcast? I'm like, yeah, and I just talked into a um, an iPhone, and you're like, yeah, that kid, that's not gonna cut. Well, like, <laughs> Amazon Prime, it'll send it to me in the next day. So I like, I think, I think within like. An hour or two of when you needed it, I sent it in. It's like, oh. well, there you go. Now I've, now I've got to be a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> I'd written the part for Drew, so I was kind of, so I was, I was, I was. Why? Uh, no, I saw. Uh, yeah, well, they're, they're, I've been asking was it, that. It wasn't uh, Dylan Devlin, was it? It uh, was Dylan Devlin. It yeah. It was Dylan Devlin. Yeah. 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 Well, that makes, that makes perfect sense, actually. <laughs> it was really enjoyable to go back and do that again for the 100th episode. That was uh, quite a treat. Yes, we will make sure that we do a full full Dylan Devon sketch sometime soon. <laughs> Fun, yeah, absolutely. So, what's in store for um, Reality Bomb next? I don't know. Uh, episode one hundred two, uh, because I just finished episode one one zero one yesterday. So, uh, episode one zero two is next. Um, uh, I think. I think you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world of Doctor Who right now. It's it's kind of cool. I mean, you know, none of it's to do with the actual show that's technically still on the air and will be airing its finale in in you know who knows when i think i think russell said russell said uh october so so <laughs> we're not that we're getting any information from the actual showrunner so um yeah i mean but the other show that's being done like the you know it's it's like it's like it's like the roman empire how there was like you know there's the one in constantinople and there's the other one and, and you know right now you know the other one is is doing all the stuff so so there's a lot of talk, stuff to talk about um i think we're hoping to do a documentary sometime in the next few months uh we've been bouncing a couple of ideas off of various things we're talking about doing one about uh I was talking about doing one about uh, the lead up to the uh, to the TV movie and sort of the nascent internet fandom and how we and the sort of you know way the excitement built for that for that TV movie '96 and and such. That was one idea that I sort of had. Uh, we've been talking about doing one about tape scenes, which is a, an early form of podcasting. Actually, it was a form of podcasting in the 1980s. Basically, they they recorded fanzines to tape and sometimes there were interviews and sometimes there were there were, there were dramatic sketches i think bb uh bill bags's uh uh stranger series initially started effectively as a tape scene um so there's there's one we've had about that and we've been talking about doing that for a while but that just requires listening to a lot of old tape scenes right. and, and doing it and uh yeah i've been i've been talking about doing one about doing the pilgrimage through doctor who which i actually did a whole whack of interviewing of people during the pandemic over and then never got around to doing it so we got some documentary ideas that we're going to do but in the meantime there's just plenty of stuff going on in doctor who that makes it fun you know i think uh, matthew jacobs has got his um documentary who am i that's right i think it's finally finally finished and is is being shown around that would be a, a, a nice uh yeah, yeah. Kind of ju jumping point too with that one. Yeah, I was so close to getting in on that one. 
<laughs> he was the very first convention I was at, and I couldn't believe it, you know, because that was my intro to televised Doctor Who. And I was like, oh, first convention. I'll get in there and explain the situation to him. And I did. I interviewed him and, and um, for a different podcast that we were doing at the time. And uh, I'm pretty sure my footage did not make it into it. But that's... <laughs> perfectly all right i can't i'm really looking forward to that one because it is I'm, kind of a an I interesting am, point in the fandom i am too and 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 i like and i like matthew a lot and uh i i've only met him once i i chatted with him about uh another movie he made around the time of the tv movie it's actually the the better movie he made in 1996 it was called mother time which is basically uh about a group of kids who basically take their mother is played by Gina McKee and who is basically flailing and uh, they basically lock they basically lock her up in the basement until and so make force her to sober up and and it's it's kind of like home home alone but in reverse um, and it's 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 a it's actually really it's it's actually delightful holiday fair uh, surprisingly in a demented way but um it's uh it's re- it actually was really great and Matthew Matthew wrote that actually and he was quite I think he was quite pleased to to know that someone actually had watched it so there you go that's cool I mean you know there's there are those films or those projects that someone is known for very specifically. But everything they've done has been, you know, a part of that process, part of that journey. So anytime someone shows an appreciation for it, it's got to gotta feel really good. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, yeah, he's he I, I mean, I, I mean, doc, I mean, reality bombs remit is to talk about fandom. So I, I, there isn't really a lot to intersect with him as a result um, and to sort of talk with him about this project. But I, I wouldn't mind actually talking to him about for for if we do a documentary about the uh, about the lead up to the TV movie, that would that would be an interesting, uh, interesting connect to do. So, Graham, uh, for those that may not have heard it, what's your Doctor Who origin story? Oh God! Uh, there, there you can you can go listen to episode zero one two of Reality Bomb and find it out. But um, <laughs> in, in brief, uh, I watched. Uh, I I'd known Doctor Who had existed for years. Uh, I remember watching the first or second episode when it aired on TV Ontario, which is our public television station in the province of Ontario in Canada where I live. And uh, they showed they sh- they were one of the first you know, places in North America to sort of show Doctor Who regularly. And, uh, and they showed, uh, they showed the three doctors back in 1976. And I remember distinctly watching it um, because I remember in spite of the fact that it being called the three doctors, I thought everybody who was in the TARDIS scene in episode two was the doctor, including the brigadier and Sergeant Benton. I was, I was six. So, you know, in, in fairness, I wasn't, I wasn't completely, you know, I, it was, it was a lot to take on. But, uh, and it was a lot of fun, uh, but, uh, and I remember, you know, like so many other people of my generation, I, I found the title sequence really scary, so that kind of might have put me off. I never, so I didn't really watch it regularly, um, uh, but I knew it was around, and my best friend was a big fan of it, and uh, I kind of didn't, I, he, I had some objection to it, I can't remember what it was, um, which is very weird, because... I love British humor. Um, I, you know, I was huge into Monty Python and Dave Allen at, at the time. I, I loved The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It was like my favorite thing in the world when I was thirteen. So it was, it was all very strange. And so one day when I was fourteen, I was, I was sick and I was at home and I didn't feel like getting up. And my sister had three, two, one contact on, which 
I allowed to continue on because I had a crush on the redheaded girl. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> didn't we all? And yeah. uh, and uh, she left the room, and I didn't. And we didn't have a remote, so you'd have to actually have to manually punch in the button on the TV to actually change the channel. I didn't feel like it, so I just left it on channel seventeen. And Doctor Who came on, and it was Pyramids and Mars episode two, and it was amazing. And I was, and I remember calling my best friend Rob like the next day. And I said, I watched Doctor Who, and it was really good. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think I came, I, I just kept on coming back to go watch episodes. I didn't, I don't think I actually got to see a, a one story continuously all the way through until The Face of Evil, but I was pretty much hooked after that point. And, and you know, um, when I go in, I, I went in big. Um, so yeah, that's because that's the only way to go. So I was hugely into Doctor Who after that point. Man, what I was just thinking, first one to watch, start to finish, Face of Evil. Good, good episode. Oh, it's great. It's brilliant. I think it's one of my very favorite stories, actually. Um, Has anyone it, selected that one for Gallery of the Underrated? Uh, yes, yes. Very early on, actually. We had it, I think we had it, yeah, we had it. It was like an episode 007 or 008, actually. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Good episode. Yeah, mm -hmm. that... Um, we we talked about that one briefly a uh, couple months back year back we did a we we watched a, a favorite movie of our own and paired it with an episode that that goes well together and since face of evil is just a retelling of zardoz the sean connery <laughs> film yeah um that was one of my selections so that's that's very uh, very, zardoz. very on brand for you brent and dip drew i have to say i and, and i'm and i'm and i'm so sorry brent um at the same time yeah i survived <laughs> that's all right is there a is there a story from that that you're surprised hasn't been selected for gallery of the underrated yeah, greater show in the galaxy. Like, like, like. There's a whole bunch that I have in the opening, in the opening re reel for it. And greater show in the galaxy and death of the Daleks remains to be done. So, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of when I when I sort of, you know, selected the four that are in the clips. I just said, well, what are the most underrated stories I can think of? And it was like, you know, the power of Kroll, um, the Idiot's Lantern. I was slightly tipped off in the Idiot's Lantern because my friend Scott was supposed to do the first gallery that underrated, and I knew he was going to do. Idiot's Lantern. He didn't do that for another fifty-seven <laughs> episodes for various reasons. So, so it, it took a while, but <laughs> fifty-two episodes, I think. But yeah, but yeah. So, um, but yes, and I and I and I selected Kroll and 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 uh, and uh, Death to the Daleks and and the Great Show in the Galaxy. And I keep on, and yeah, as yet only there's still half of the opening credits to the greatest show to uh gallery of the underrated that has not been actually done so go figure oh the gun and the gunfighters um the the gunfighters hasn't been done either huh. so yeah we've come That's close to, we've been close mm -hmm. come close to having the gunfighters done but no no so we have sorry three-fifths of the gallery of the underrated opening credits haven't been done so go figure hmm. brent if you were selected to to defend a story for gallery of the underrated what would you choose well uh, I took a look at the big 200 countdown from 2009, uh -huh. and I lo looked at the last 30 or so. Because I, even to me, even the worst ones have some redeeming qualities, right? So, mm. but looking at the last few, I found a couple that I think should have been higher. One of them was uh, Colony in Space, which is actually a really good story. Uh, it's not action packed, and the production values didn't do it any favors, but uh, the bones of it are good. But I think my pick would be, uh, dare I say it, 
the twin dilemma. Because <laughs> personally, uh, personally, I think Time Lash and Web Planet are far worse. Uh, I think if Twin Dilemma had been moved to the start of season twenty-two, it wouldn't be at the bottom of this list. Because you know, it, it followed Caves of Androzani. You know, <laughs> it's like playing a solo acoustic set just after the Rolling Stones performed. <laughs> <laughs> It's a tricky. It's a tricky one. I'm. I'm not quite so convinced. It would be. It would it, giving it six. Giving it eight months for the viewers to forget about. You know, the glory of Andrazani would have helped it any. I think. I think there are just bigger problems. But it's. It's a tricky one. Um, I think it's. I. I think it could have used. But maybe it could have used that time to do another re- rewrite. It's a tricky one because I think. Because uh, I think. Amp- I think Anthony Stevens' script probably wasn't actually fully finished, and and he eventually, he eventually got very sick and passed away. Um, a lot of a lot of writers kind of died on Eric Sayward's watch. I, I I don't know whether I'm not I'm not like saying anything. I'm I'm just <laughs> sort of just implying something, but uh, for comedy, purely comedy. But uh, but he. But if you read the novelization of the Twin Dilemma, which is actually a probably one of the very best target novelizations in my view uh it it really is great so if you know maybe if it had had the time to be rewritten by say words so that it was more at the level of the novelization yeah that would be great um you know uh the, but yeah i think the kind of script that's there it, it's it's got a kind of it's got a lot of exposed wiring and uh, and kind of fatally so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, starting off with Pyramids of Mars, yep. kind of a great story. Going on Face of Evil, great mm-hmm. story. Do you have a favorite Doctor Who story? Pyramids of Mars. Pyramids Just, of Mars. It's it all. It's all very simple. Like you know, first first story, favorite story, best story. It's all. It's all the same thing. So it makes my life very easy. I mean, you, you know, there's a couple of other faves that are that are you know hovering near that. Like I I love, I love I love Remembrance of the Daleks. I love. Uh, there's I love Inferno. Uh, there's a few. There's a, there's a bunch of others. They're sort of circling around that. But yeah, yeah. I, I have that tri- that triangle is a very easy triangle for me. Fave, <laughs> fave, <laughs> best, and first are all the same thing for me. It's what it's a pyramid basically. Yeah, I was going to say it's a pyramid. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So the next question about your favorite then is um, generally when people have favorite movies, favorite episodes, something like that, it falls into one of two categories, which is I could put it on at any point in time. It's a comfort viewing. It always gets me excited. I always something learn something new of it. And then the other is it it's so good that I feel like I have to savor it so it doesn't get worn out. So I only put it on special times once, once every couple of years or so on and so forth. Where does Pyramids fall for you? Both, both categories. Both categories. Yeah. When my dog died, I watched Pyramids. Uh, gotcha. When I got rejected, when, I get, when, my, when my first short story uh, got rejected, I watched Pyramids. But at the same time, I also, you know, I've also been very sparing about how often I watch Pyramids. And I think... I watched it as part of the well, I did the pilgrimage last year and and or two years ago, and I watched I, and so I, that was the first time I'd seen it in three or four years at that point. I don't bust it out all that often. I've only seen it the one time. I think I saw it in my first pilgrimage in 2012. So it's yeah. I think I think I got to it um, summer of 2012, maybe early early summer of 2012, and I haven't seen it since. It's it's such a great story, and, and and for me, it's just it's made up of lots of, 
it's one of those stories that shouldn't be any good, and yet it is. It's 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 classic Doctor Who uh, in that everything was against it from a production standpoint, and yet it's amazing. Um, you know, I was in the I was at the BBC archives last month to go uh, research a book I'm doing, and and I looked at the production papers for Pyramids of Mars, and it included Robert Holmes's notes to Lewis Griefer about the script, and it's all and and he sort of lays out what the issues of the script are and it's like oh my god this is a really dreadful script and, and and no wonder he had to go rewrite it completely and then and then you know and then patty russell comes on and and sort of insists on certain things and and philip hinchcliffe comes on and i think he basically more or less kind of helped script the last episode basically uh so it, it's kind of one of those many many authors kind of things but it all works and it all hangs mm. together really well and it and part of that's the performances and part of that's just the just the just the stark simplicity of it and and some of it's just the um the approach that that era was taking which was that we do stuff from horror movies, but we don't do the horror movies themselves. So we just do the trappings. So yeah, we're going to do a mummy story, but they're not actual mummies. There's no cadavers. There's no, you know, there's none of the, there's none of the, the, the Egypt only touches on it lightly. It's, it's basically just, you know, robots that dress like mummies. And I love <laughs> it for that. Um, you know, um, and, and it's got that Robert Holmes kind of trick of, of, uh, adding in just enough details around the edges to make it all seem much more substantive than it actually is. And it's very cool. Like, you know, you've got the, you got the Butler who has, who's in the who's in it like for all of like 10 minutes. And, uh, and he, when he finds the doctor and Sarah and, uh, and, uh, and Warlock in the house, he says, <laughs> he says, you know, like, you know, like make yourself scarce. You know, I, I, you know, it's I you know I've got I I have to st I have to stick around because you know situations are hard to find at my age and you're right. like you're like that says everything about this character who he is what his life trajectory is, and he's about to get crushed by a robot to death you know in about in about five minutes like you know it's like like there's like 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 this is but he's just packing backstory into the fodder characters and that's the genius of Robert Holmes so yeah um yeah there's there's you know. I think on I think on I think it was on Chip Sutter's uh, I think it was on Two Minute Time Lord that I I kind of pointed out that you know this is one of those stories that if you actually just break it down to the constituent elements none of it should make sense and but then again every Doctor Who if you break it down to its constituent elements is a nonsense and but so I think what Pyramids does is it's not just good it's not just Doctor Who and that it's better than the sum of its parts it's a quantum leap from the sum of its parts so that's what I love it. So uh, if you're introducing a new viewer to Doctor Who, would Pyramids be your go-to story or would it be something else? Actually, uh, surprisingly, I mean, back in the days when I used to do it with Classic Who, um, I mean, nowadays with the modern series, uh, you know, I, I, I often just, you know, give, just set them down for a rose or whatever's on, frankly. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not a great believer in... You know, this story is the magic bullet to watching something because, you know, people will either like it or they not. But, you know, and honestly, 80% of who can have that can have that effect. So I, I'm not a great believer in giving them pyramids. I, but for a long time, before the classic series came on, before the modern series came on, and even after, I used to show people uh, the Brain of Morbius. And the Brain of Morbius really did the trick. 
every time. I was always impressed with that. Uh, I showed. I remember once I had some friends over, and we were, and it was, and we had just been through a funeral, and it had been really rough. And I just said, "Look, I just need to watch some Doctor Who and just kind of chill." And they said, "Oh yeah, sure." And and do you mind if we sit, sit and watch? Sure, you want? And I and I showed them the Brain of Morbius, and they just loved it. They just got it, and it was amazing. Uh, I showed my goddaughter, who was eight at the time, and uh, she became a lifelong Doctor Who fan from watching Morbius. I cool. said to her, "I said to her, watch this. It's just like Harry Potter. It's not, but um, <laughs> but 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 she. It was enough to get her on and, and watch it. I, I showed it to my wife uh, when she was my fiance. You know, I've shown it to a bunch of people over the years, and I think Morbius just really kind of." translates the who formula really well like it's 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 kind of larger than life it's got it's got it's got it's got some obvious python-esque comedy it's got some really kind of grand guignol horror in it it's it's sort of it sort of does everything and you know it's kind of it's kind of doing you know uh it's kind of doing it's got the frankenstein roots showing it's got it's got it's got all you know it's got all the all the kind of, it's got the pastiches it's got bits of hammer horror I think it just kind of does it all in one kind of kind of thing, and it makes it really, really great. So I, I think, yeah, I think I think Brain Morbius is still my kind of go-to. I think in the modern series, I, I tended to plonk people in for Rose, although now I think you know Rose is, gosh, almost like eighteen years old or something like that. So it, you know, I mean, Rose is old enough to 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 go to college. So um, <laughs> I'm kind of. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's kind of like watching television from a different era now. Um, but I, I still think Rose is a great place to start. So, yeah. I don't know if we've ever discussed this. Brent, do you have an episode that you, if someone's like, hey, I hear you like this show called Doctor Who, do you sit them down and show them something? Well, Grant brought up a good point that Doctor Who has so many different things to so many different people. You you kind of can't find one that sort of works a lot. I've never heard Brain Morbius being one. That's really cool. Um, I tried Brain. Um, sorry, I tried Pyramids of Mars a long time ago, and it failed miserably. With yeah. well, actually, my best friend liked it, but his wife hated it. But whatever. But um, I would think probably I'd probably go with the Five Doctors, maybe. And See, that was the first classic I tried to watch when it was when we had that very limited supply on Netflix. Was that confusing to you? Or? Oh yeah, I got five minutes into it and realized I didn't know who Turlo was. Um, and I think it like starts off with like Turlo on a rock sketching or something along those lines. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand what is happening. And they have a conversation. I didn't even understand the Fifth Doctor really, so um, I, I quickly turned it off. And then actually. I'm gonna I'm retreading a little bit. I watched Pyramids of Mars, or tried watching Pyramids of Mars, and I got about two episodes in, and I didn't feel like I had a good understanding of who the characters were, and like this, I felt like I needed to like. Clearly, these characters had been introduced before, uh, so I just went back all the way to what was available, which I believe was um, uh, Unearthly Child, and then the um, the Aztecs. Uh, I think I just I went for, I think I watched what Netflix made available um which was not much no. uh, at the time and I, I certainly wouldn't call it the best of uh, by any stretch of the imagination but it wasn't until I watched the Aztecs where I went oh I will watch classic Doctor Who like this this makes sense I get it um 
And now I, th- I, I think people land where they land. It's, it's funny because you know, sure. for me, for me, you know, I had no, I had no knowledge of uh, what Doctor Who was. I mean, mm-hmm. aside from what my brief, I knew there was involved a, a box that was bigger on the inside. I knew that the Doctor could change his face, but that was about it. And, you know, when I watched Pyramids, uh, you know, I watched, it, I watched it with Episode Two, and I just kind of. I went in with no pre-ex- pre-existing expectations, you know, you know, Tom Baker, Tom Baker was really charming. The mummies, the mummies, the mummies were really scary. The bit, the bit where they travel into the future and, and it's been changed was kind of really kind of cool brain candy. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, and Elizabeth Slayton was hot. Um, and I was, <laughs> and I was 14 years old and that kind of mattered. Um, so yeah, I mean, all those elements were kind of all there. And so, yeah, but you know, but at the same time, you know, I could, I, I could have just eas- have easily just have watched, I don't know, uh, the Android invasion or something else. And it could have just not landed that day. So, you know, I, I think it's just kind of, I think you just put people in front of the TV and watch it. I, I think, I think, I think this kind of. I think fans are looking for that magic bullet to make every make some, find something that everybody will love every time, and I, I just don't think it exists. I think, I think most fan, I think most, I think you know, Chip Sutterth did a whole thing on Two Minute Time Lord about I think it was his brother. He kept on trying to give them different stories, and, and it just wouldn't work and wouldn't take. And he must have the most patient brother in the world because <laughs> because because as near as I could tell, he, he did it, he did it multiple times, and you know. Whereas my dad, like, my dad watched, my dad watched, uh, my dad's watched all of two Doctor Who stories in his like, well, he claims to watch more because he he watched a lot of the first season of of Doctor Who when it when it came back in two thousand five. But he he watched Time Warrior with me, and I thought, oh my god, he watched every episode of the Time Warrior with me. He's gonna watch Doctor Who with me forever. No, he didn't. Um, but you know, the only other time I've ever seen him really get interested in an episode of Doctor Who was Midnight. So, and that was, there was at least 25 years between those two points. Um, so (laughs) I just don't think there's a magic bullet. I think, I think, you know, you watch what you watch and it's great. And if it works, it works. And, 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 you know, Primrose Mars works for me, but it doesn't work for you, Drew, but the Aztecs works for you. And and I kind of find the Aztecs boring on first viewing. So, you know, you know, it's just. Good morning. Where's Les? He's not here. Are we supposed to have a department head meeting when we're missing one of the heads? <laughs> well, I know he went out with his groupie last night. Maybe he got lucky. Listen, Nisman, make me laugh. <laughs> Chances are... <laughs> the moment you come... A little late, aren't you, Nesman? Chances are. Oh, gee, am I? I didn't notice. The time must have just slipped away from me. Did you have fun, Les? <laughs> yes, Andrew, I did. And I suppose you're going to tell us that you hit the jackpot, right? Please, Herb, I'm not the sort to kiss and tell. Kiss what and tell who? I mean, that's the thing is that's the beautiful thing about Doctor Who or any kind of fandom, you know, like who knows how it's going to draw you in and make you a fan. Because, you know, when we have a guest on uh, Who and Company, we know that Doctor Who is not the end all and be all of their fandom. So we, we bring a guest on. We go, hey, we know you like Doctor Who, but what else do you like? So, you know, we have someone bring on a show that isn't Doctor Who. Graham, what? 
TV show did you bring forth that isn't Doctor Who? Oh, gosh. Well, I uh, brought WKRP in Cincinnati, which is my all-time favorite American sitcom. Uh, I absolutely adore this show. It was it lasted four seasons. It was on from, like, 1978 to 1981 in, in, in the U.S. Uh, it, starred, it, it starred Howard Hessman. It was kind of his breakout role. It, it, was, it starred Lonnie Anderson. It was her breakout role. Uh, but it also had a fantastic cast that included uh, Frank Bonner, it included uh, Jan Smithers, uh, Tim Reed. Uh, it was just—it was just an amazing, amazing cast. Gary Sandy. It was—it was just an amazing cast. Uh, it's an ensemble comedy set in a uh, radio station in uh, in uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, that is is moribund and playing playing kind of golden music, which is sort of bad easy listening and uh a, and and uh a new program manager is brought in to go try and uh go try and uh, you know just basically keep steer the ship and he he changes the format to rock and roll and uh and it's just a really fun show and it's one of those shows that just has slightly elasticated characters that just and and it runs the gamut from pure on comedy to actually some very poignant stuff to to actual kind of social issues and and it and it, and it does it all very deftly and and it's sort of a a precursor to um the american version of the office i think there's a lot of other uh shows that it's a precursor to i adore the show um and i also think it's just the, one of the funniest things i've ever seen set this picture for me what was it like the first time like why did you watch it the first time how did that come about it was one of those shows that was on the air. I mean, I was, I was, I was, it was, it would have been 79, I think I saw my first episode. So I would have been, I would have been nine or 10. And I just, and I was nine. And uh, I, you know, it was one of those shows that was on. Uh, I remember the first episode I saw, I was in a hotel with my parents. I would probably, it would have been summer vacation. So, and my parents were very kind of lower middle class. So summer vacation didn't mean you went very far in, in, in days of inflation of the 70s. You didn't go very far outside of where of the suburb where we lived. But we, we would go somewhere where we could actually have a motel. We could stay at a motel overnight or three days. And I think we went to Niagara Falls that trip. And, and so we stayed in a, in a motel in Niagara Falls that was so scuzzy. My dad moved us to a different hotel the next day. Um, <laughs> I remember that. Um, it was the first time I ever encountered a vibrating bed. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so cool. Um, and my dad was like... <laughs> We're was it coin another, operated? Yes, and we're moving, yeah. to, we're moving to another hotel. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what's going on. But somewhere in the middle of all that, you know, the other thing was is that we were allowed to stay up late and watch other TV. And and you know, my life was very strictly regulated until I was about, I guess, thirteen or fourteen in terms of bedtimes. I was, I had, we, you know, I had a bedtime of nine o'clock except for Monday nights when I could watch Mash, and I was allowed to stay up to nine thirty, and. Uh, and I, WKRP, I think, was on one of those nights. It was like an after 9 p.m. show, but it was it was the summer, and we were staying in a hotel, and we were all stuck, and it was all five of us stuck in a room. So, so we watched WKRP, and it was the, it was an episode where they get a contract to do a jingle for a funeral home, and it is the, it, it was a really funny episode. I, I found it really funny even as even as a nine year old. It was just and I and it, it's still very funny today. It's like they they you know they sort of find who can sing on in 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 the ensemble and 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 you know and they all start and they do this sort of. Uh, 
it's Philman's funeral homes, and it's like Philman's. It's a <laughs> he's the mortician <laughs> man. Who cares? And uh, it's just it's just really really funny. And they eventually, and they take the money and they and they play the jingle a few times, and then eventually, I, I think the the station manager pulls the plug because he's like, "Come on, we gotta have some dignity here." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I just I just remember loving that. So I I always kind of sought it out when I could. Um, and shortly after the show it got canceled you know by then i was a teenager it was on it was it was in it was syndicated quite heavily where i lived and so i got to watch everything and and i loved it then and i think just the appeal of it is just it's just a very well done comedy it's smart it plays it ha it 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 does the ensemble thing really well and and you know everybody gets a turn and everybody does it gets a turn really well which is which is not always the case on a lot of sitcoms <laughs> um it, so yeah it just it and it it just very very smart and funny and plays and plays really fair with the audience which is always a thing with sitcoms i have a problem i, I get a i get a big problem with sitcoms because a lot of them don't play fair with the audience a lot of them try to milk the jokes in a way or, or they try to sort of they try to tweak the sentimentality of it in a way that i don't think allows the audience to decide for themselves if this is if this is moving or not and 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 wkrp always allowed for the intel the intelligence of the audience brent mm -hmm. i'm gonna make an assumption here and my assumption is that prior to recording this podcast you have watched wkrp in cincinnati am i correct Absolutely. I didn't watch it when it first aired. I was too young. But when it went into syndication a few years later, I watched it almost every day. It was uh, definitely one of my favorites because growing up, well, even now, music is like my entire life, always has yeah. been. And um, even when I was a kid, I wanted to be a DJ when I grew up. So I stumbled upon this show one day and I was like, oh, this is this is really cool. This is awesome. And I kind of, you know, fast forward, I, I was a DJ for a while and karaoke and music. Uh, I'm a musician. I play guitar. I, I just, this show really was, it, it spoke to me. And, you know, and it's generally funny. You know, it's not trying too hard. It just is. I, th I think this and Soap were two of the funniest sitcoms ever made. And um, it happens to have not one, but two of the greatest TV show themes in history. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It is really great. Yeah. <laughs> and the other theme is? At the end. So so, the beginning theme, uh -huh. and then the end theme, like the gotcha. rock theme that has the nonsense lyrics. When I was yeah. a kid, I was like, what are they saying? Because I want to sing it. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And then when the internet came along, it was like, no, it's just a bunch of gibberish. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I love that. I love that closing theme, too. I mean, it has a great theme. I mean, the 70s is a great time for good theme songs, um, generally speaking. I, I love the theme song to The Love Boat um, equally well um, in terms of sung themes. Um, but yes, uh, yeah, this is this is probably this is probably up there as my favorite. And it, that it's just one of those... It, it just sounds like it, it'd be played on radio. <laughs> it just has that kind of... It, it sounds like it would be played on radio in 1979. <laughs> yep. All right, now I'm curious. I learned something new about Brent, that you were a DJ. Makes yeah. sense. It makes perfect sense. Graham, were you ever a DJ? 
I've never been a DJ in my life. Um, nope, not even a, not not even a karaoke DJ. I just yeah, I think I did it once at a dance, and I and I and I really liked it. But no, I I know I don't have that kind of. I I wanted to be a DJ. Uh, I remember my I went briefly to a school that had a radio station, and I and I wanted to be a DJ on it. But yeah, I yeah I I, I just didn't have it in me. So that's okay. I know I have a radio voice, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a DJ. Oh, of course uh, you were. Yeah. You're listening to 101.7 WKZQ, the home <laughs> of rock and roll. Um, i got a new comedy sketch Beach. character coming in my head. Okay, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I, had, I had known about WKRP, and I, I imagine that it had played in syndication, but I had never watched it, at least not enough to know who the characters were. So this was, I mean, you know, every every Thanksgiving, that episode plays, yeah. and everyone posts the clip from that episode. There was no surprise yeah. for the end when I yeah. watched that Turkey, episode Turkey in its entirety today for yeah. the very first time. But this um, this week was the first time I'm, you know, sitting down and watching the show and actually paying attention to it. And as someone who has worked uh, very briefly uh, as a radio DJ, I was just like, this is so absolutely correct though admittedly when i was a dj it was when i was 18 years old and i had uh i did the the friday night from 11 o'clock to saturday morning 6 a.m shift um and we came in right at 11 when uh the fcc regulations were loosened so we could get away with playing a lot much and the uh my partner who it was his show and i he just needed someone over the age of 18 to be with him was 15 years old so there was a 15 year old it was called on the edge our show was called on the edge with will and drew and uh i was 18 he was 15 and we were the only people in the radio station from 11 o'clock at night till 6 a.m should not have been allowed uh and that a magnificent weekly run lasted for almost six months before they said please never come into this radio again um yeah we I think I feel like Beavis and Butthead may have been one of the reasons that we got kicked off the air. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a, there's a, that's a whole other uh, series of stories for the shenanigans that we pulled. Um, but this show, watching it, it's like this is exactly the kind of stuff that people get up to uh, in a radio station. You know, we would have contest winners. When we were coming in in the day, we'd have contest winners come in and watch the interactions. And, you know, the manager, uh, like the stray cat that wandered into the radio station and, like, would just wander around. Uh, it, was, it seemed like episodes. Um, so I've been out doing promotional things. I never dropped live animals from a helicopter, but, you know, that's... <laughs> no. No, it's one of those shows that, you know, um, Hugh Wilson used to work in radio. And, and so he yeah. sort of brought a lot of his own experiences kind of doing that, doing that kind of thing. And, and I, I, it, it has that kind of patina of, uh, of, of believability to it, especially, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, DJs do not, even in the 70s, did not program their stuff to the same extent that he did. And to the point where they actually, like, make it a plot point on the show. Um, that, you know, that how, how are you allowing Fever to, Johnny Fever to program all this stuff and <laughs> um but but at the same time you know and the and the machinery doesn't didn't quite work that way but that's okay i mean it just it just looked it just looked believable and and you know there were there were people 
you know, uh, you know, they did they did in a contest episode, which I still think is one of the funniest things ever, where they, where where Johnny names the cash prize, like he adds a zero to it, so it becomes like from a hundred dollars. Yeah, I watched that one yesterday. Yeah, it yeah. was it was supposed to be fifty bucks, and he said five thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> so so they so they come up with the, the most hilarious scheme to try and prevent it for anyone from guessing it, and so they like they they were like a 10 sec, 15 second mashup of like fifteen different ten different songs, including the Star Spangled Banner, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and get this, and they get the and some 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 wino calls in and says. Tumbling dice by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> it lists off all the songs. It's so so great, so great, and you know, and yeah. So no, I just I just love. I just yeah, it does have that kind of. It does feel like if it isn't a ra- if that doesn't happen a real estate radio station, you kind of want it to. <laughs> Were you uh, introduced to any new music through this show? No, no, I wasn't. I mean, it, it, I mean, you know, it, a lot of it just breezed over me at the time i just you know i was i was too young and then when i was in my in my teen years i was just too i was too kind of i mean there are songs that i i I have heard that i went oh yeah i know that from wkrp um and 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 i really uh and i really refused to like watch it until uh, again until i was able to like you know as famously you know they put it out on on dvd back in the back in the early 2000s and it bombed with that trace because they replaced everything with with replacement music because they couldn't get music rights and mm-hmm. you know quantum leap had the same problem and uh, and so shout factory kind of negotiated all the rights for about 90 percent of the music so now it's a lot better but i remember i waited until a friend of mine managed to somehow pirate of a whole whack of syndicated episodes that had the original music and uh it was great like you know you get the, i think i think pink floyd was one that i really i, I really owe wkrp to because you know they they famously play a bit from uh from animals and uh is that the and, one with the barking dogs yeah 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 do you, yeah. Do, you, do you hear that? Hear those, yeah, yeah. Do you hear those dogs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, are those yeah. dogs? I hope so, because I hear them too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I love that bit, and and so I, I love that. Um, uh, yeah, uh, start start uh, the the song that they that they play when they go to rock and roll. Oh, that's 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 such a great song. Um, so yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it, it, it. So yeah, there's a bunch of things like that, but no, I, on the whole, my musical trajectory kind of was was different to it. Although it's funny because. The one thing I felt like they really kind of got right was um, it wasn't the music. It was uh, it's the episode where they do the Jerry Falwell analog, um, where they have someone trying to clean up music in the city, and and so he so he's and this, so there's this evangelist who sort of brings out all these different songs that they that they find actionable and they're sending and they're sending it to the station and Arthur Carlson the the uh the the head of the station is is kind of like swayed by it initially and then gradually sort of realizes this, this is like the thin edge of the wedge that's gonna that's just doing censorship for its own sake and and so he brings at the behest of Johnny Fever, he brings he brings Imagine and reads the lyrics to Imagine and 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 the and the and the and the Reverend again who's doing this cleanup campaign says you know oh that's blasphemous and and basically just says you know the song should be banned and 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 they make the point well you're just one person like this isn't you're not reflecting your own group you're not reflecting all these people you're just reflecting yourself and it was it was really good because i felt it was very on point and i remember being a fundamentalist uh around that time and you know just feeling like yeah you got that culture really nailed and Hmm. uh 
And uh, it was probably the first time I ever heard Imagine actually was 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 from that. So or at least the lyrics to Imagine. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna have to find that episode and watch yeah. that one soon. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. It's very good. They also do, they also do, they also do one with a with a with a with a wrestler who's a a a, 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 a an evangelist who's a wrestler. <laughs> that's uh, that's a much broader parody of that culture and uh it's also it's also very very funny uh, for no other reason than the and now let's sing the song we got the devil in a bulgarian headlock and we're going to throw him in the big pop machine in the sky (laughs) and then they sing (laughs) we got the devil in the bulgarian headlock etc etc so yes (laughs) is there a favorite character for you oh gosh there's too many um i'm i'm a big fan of uh I'm a big fan of Les Nessman, actually, um, who, uh, which is kind of like saying that you know, you, you know, you like Robert Holmes and Doctor Who, um, you know, because <laughs> like, like I think I think Les is kind of a favorite of everybody in some way or not or, or another because he's just um, he's the newsman of the station. He takes himself super seriously, uh, and 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 he's just he ha- but it's he's it's played by Richard Sanders with with just the right. He keeps it just off the ground, just slightly, and 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 Richard Sanders actually wrote episodes, and he and he and he just kind of and he just and he just kind of knew how to write that character, and he always was inventing bits for it. It's a bit like Drew with Drew with comedy sketches and Reality Bone, um, but yeah, like he came up with the idea. I think he 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 he'd legitimately cut himself when he was making the pilot of WKRP and bandaged one of his fingers, and then decided every every episode thereafter he would always have a bandaid on him somewhere, and he decided that was because he wanted to make a part of the character's backstory that you know when he was when he was actually like seeing his mother in Dayton which he often frequently mentioned he it was actually it was actually code for the fact he was going out and doing extreme sports or something like he was always doing something more dangerous and he was coming back with bandages um <laughs> which I always thought was funny um but yeah I, I just loved him um he just was one of those characters that you know it, it's it's that perfect kind of sense of self-importance and self-delusion he was very proud of his Buckeye Newshawk award you know where he oh my gosh which you, you know, know he, I am? He, he, he got he got for <laughs> you know basically he got he won for announcing hog futures um you know uh he he taped he because he always wanted an he always wanted walls around his office so he and he wouldn't be given one so he actually taped where the walls should be and he would like actually pretend to like op- unlock his door and open the door and anyone who had to come would have to pretend to knock. And I just love all those details. Um, but yeah, he that was uh, yeah. Les was great. I I, but I love all the characters. I love Johnny. I love I love I love. Uh, I, I love uh, Herb Tarlick, who's the, who's the ad, who's the ad manager, who's played by a guy named Frank Motter, who is an amazing actor, just an amazing actor. Like he just he he died last year, and he was just he was and he and he went on to direct a whole ton of television comedy, and he was he was just really he had really great instincts. He could do the dramatic bits really well, but he could just but he knew full on how to do how to do the comedy stuff really exquisitely well. And yeah, it, the whole cast was on fire like that. Mm-hmm. How about you, Brent? Do you have a favorite? Well, I think everybody wanted to be Johnny Fever when yeah. this was out. <laughs> but I think now that I'm older, I'd probably relate more to Andy because uh, I'm a manager at a business. So sometimes it's it's tough yeah. making calls about what to do in certain situations. And Andy faces those decisions like all the time in the episodes I've seen recently. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I would say Andy. Uh, but like you said, everybody in the cast is fantastic. Um 
I think uh, Tim Reed and uh, Howard Hessman were probably the two that went on for to do bigger things. Um, I remember at the time when I was when I was younger, everybody was Gaga over uh, Lonnie Anderson, but I always thought Bailey was the attractive one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on the Bailey train with you. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think Lonnie Anderson is really great. Lonnie Anderson had amazing comic chops. Like yeah. I like I, I, I rewatched. Uh, in prep for this, I, I rewatched uh, Les's groupie, which is a very favorite episode. And there's a scene in it where she's trying to counsel Les on how to break up with someone, and they mm-hmm. do this sort of mock. They do this mock, uh, this mock <laughs> breakup, which sort of where you ramp up, th- where, they, where they're talking about what they do for each other, and they or it all ramps up to eventually the breakup, and it's done like for real. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that was very good. Yes, I thought it was. And and <laughs> and the timing on it is just Im- impeccable. She just she was really great. One of my favorite episodes at WKP is is Ask Jennifer, which is an episode where they want to do an they want to have a, like an advice show in the afternoon, and they and they get a respected psychologist who who they after a lengthy hiring period, and that person uh, takes quaaludes or something like that, and like. ODs on air or something like that. So so Jennifer jumps in and 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 does the advice thing and it's really really great and she's turns out she's really great at doing being an advice columnist on air but then there's it has a it takes a horrible turn and 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 Lonnie Anderson plays the hell out of it. I I just like she just the desolation she feels when things go wrong is is really amazing and you know and I think there's a lot of and I think it's a shame because I think because I think uh, people kind of people look at other things with with Lonnie Anderson, but I also think but I also think she just kind of got somewhat typecast, and you know, it probably didn't help that you know um, you know the, the relationship with Bert probably just made, probably just made 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 the shallow interpretation even worse. Um, but it's a shame because I think because I think she's actually a phenomenally talented actress. But yes, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. I was 100% into Bailey. I, I don't consider myself a shipping person, but yeah, I ship the hell out of Johnny and Johnny and Bailey as well. So um, yeah, <laughs> really, <laughs> yeah, those are the, the okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, they and and and, they, and the show does too. I mean, to, yeah, it to, does. To, yeah. To, it, it does. Really? Okay, yeah. I was kind of curious, so I watched the two part pilot. Yeah, and I watched the turkey episode just in, in you know sm- yeah, small, yeah, very small sampling of yeah, yeah. of the program, um, and it almost looked like Bailey had a thing for the manager. Yeah, um, it was in the in the early days it was it was okay. I, I right. think it I think they were trying to do that angle and then gradually just went to Johnny and and it it only was ever explicitly acknowledged once and it was made out as though they weren't they hadn't uh, they they hadn't you know they hadn't slept together yet, which frankly is not the subtext that goes on throughout most of the episodes. Like most of the episodes, seems to be that they have some sort of weird friends with benefits thing going on, and you know, <laughs> she's loaning him money all the time, and he's always <laughs> he's always making <laughs> sly comments about seeing her naked, and it's just like, okay, this is a this is a this is an interesting relationship, and yeah, hmm. I mean, she's the character that most comes into her own in the show. Like most of the characters are pretty pretty much there on the page from the pilot onward they they sort of grow into their roles a bit more but the one that has the most interesting evolution through the show is is bailey who sort of starts out as having like two lines in the pilot and 
and is played as a super shy person and then eventually uh, she kind of grows into it she she stands up for herself she she sort of and then she has to sort of sometimes face the consequences of her actions in interesting ways and i really i really i really and jan smithers is a great actress and and i was really always sort of sad that she never her career never developed that way i, I felt the same way about frank bonner and and richard sanders too like i felt like they were super talented actors that mm -hmm. that really uh deserved deserve better careers in terms of their acting although i think frank bonner did well for himself as a director so the series had what four four seasons four, four seasons yeah yeah so if it had continued what would you like to have seen happen on the show oh god uh that's a good question um i think i would have liked to i, I think i would have liked to have seen a, uh in some ways I would have liked to seen a proper final episode. I have to say the final episode that is there is actually pretty good as a final episode. Mm, okay. um, yeah. They, uh, up and down the dial, which is uh, which basically uh, has the station being named like uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's like it's like number three or something like that. It becomes like the number three station, and and Mama Carlson, who's the actual owner of the station, uh, wants to then change it to a news format, and mm. and and. and it, there, there's a great, there's a great scene with with Johnny Fever. It's one of my favorite scenes with Howard Hessman in the show. I, I, when Howard Hessman died this year, I, I posted that scene on YouTube from YouTube on Facebook because I just love it. And he basically, he he goes to confront Mama Carlson, and he basically he basically sussed out what the deal is. Like, like the station is designed to be a loss leader. It's designed to, it's designed to be a tax dodge. And so she keeps on trying, you know, and she got her idiot son to go run it into the ground so that she could make money on, so she could make, get tax benefits on, you know, on her other corporations. And, uh, and he, managed, he finds, he figures it out and he calls her on it and, and sort of says, are you going to, you know, if you don't tell him that, you know, or, you know, you, you know, he's actually succeeding and you're trying to, and you're trying to, uh, and you're basically just do, and, and she eventually relents and, and allows the station to continue, continue with the format. And that's sort of where the show is left off. Um, that's which cool. I thought was, a, I thought it was a good, it was, as ending points go, it was pretty good. I would have liked to have seen, you know, I would like to have seen the Mary Tyler Moore show ending or something like that, where, you know, where, where, you know, the show becomes number one and, and, uh, and, and, you know, less goes, less goes to, less goes to CBS and, 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 you know, and, and everybody goes their separate ways or something like that. Like I would have liked to have seen a proper kind of finale, but otherwise, otherwise I kind of feel like the show ended at the right spot in many ways, because I think, because I think they had kind of, they kind of done a lot of the things they needed to do. They got the, they got the station to do the upward trajectory. It was going to do the sort of the characters kind of did their things. I would have liked to maybe have seen more done with Tim, Tim Reed, uh, who was getting better better and better parts towards as as the show progressed but you know I, um but otherwise no I, i'm not sure how i don't know brent i mean you've you've seen the show as much as i have i mean how would you like to have seen it continue well gordon jump passed away quite a while ago so i'm yeah. sure one of the one of the cast would have been the new boss i would think yeah yeah, yeah. um like you said i don't think there's a whole lot of room to advance in this no. show because they've kind of they kind of did everything but yeah um I mean, when yeah. they did a sequel series, that they did, they did the new WKRP, which was yeah. not, which was not run by Hugh Wilson, which is, which is the first mistake. I mean, they had some of the, some of the original writers working on it, and they did bring back Howard Hessman towards the end, and they, and they used, and they, but you know, it was basically just less 
a less herb and, and and the big guy and it wasn't nearly as good like it just kind of like i felt like a lot of what made that show great was was that particular ensemble and 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 you know, most shows as the times age, you know, people's contracts go up, you know, you know, you, you know, Lonnie Anderson would have been gone by se by season, by season five. Like, you know, I think that would have been her last season. She would never continue past season five. I don't think, I don't think Howard Hessman would have like, you know, why would you, why do you want to see it go, a show like that go apart by pieces and then have to reintroduce other characters, stuff like that. This is one of those kind of, this is one of those kind of like, you know, some shows can survive that and some shows can actually get better as you make cast replacements. MASH is definitely the, that, but I feel like MASH is also the exception that proves the rule. Like, mm -hmm. I, like, like, you know, uh, like, uh, so I kind of feel like, I think, I think WKRP in some ways ended at the right place. It did. It, it should have. Yeah, you mentioned Tim Reed and getting better parts. Uh, one of the episodes you suggested for us was Venus and the Man. Yeah, I watched that again today. That oh. was that was a great one. Oh yeah. yeah. It's a fantastic episode, and it, yeah, because they because they started to develop a backstory for him. It was an interesting backstory. Was that he he was a he was a teacher. He was a teacher who couldn't hack teaching, so he went into being a DJ. Uh, and somewhere along the way, he also he he'd also uh, he'd also uh, dodged the draft. Well, or he or he he he'd gone AWOL. That's right. He he'd been in the Vietnam War and he went AWOL. And uh, after 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 a bad incident, and they sort of built into these interesting backstory things, to him, which was great because originally, you know, I'm afraid to say it, it was 1978. He was the black character. You know, his job, his job was to say, say what, what's that? And, 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 and to the show's credit, they gradually found ways to stop that and to actually give him a credible part and to actually make him, make him actually, because Tim Reed is an amazingly talented actor yeah. and, and, you know, um, and, and some of his post WKRP work is amazing. And, uh, so yeah, so I'm really glad that to, it's through their credit, they figured that out, but I love, I love Venus and the Man. It's such a great episode uh, for Drew's benefit and the benefit of the listeners. It's an episode where, uh, the cleaning woman at, at WKRP convinces Venus to try and talk to her son who is getting into gangs and, and, and messing about with a bunch of things to stay in school. And he convinces him by explaining to him the function of the atom within two minutes. And, you know, and, and he does, and it's actually quite credible and it's the most science I've ever learned. Um, so, so <laughs> outside of, outside of, outside of Star Trek. So, yeah, so no, it was, so it was a, uh, so it was a really great episode, and uh, and it really it really relies on Tim Reed and this other character. It's a two hander for the better part of like I guess it's a it's a twenty five minute episode, and I would say like twenty minutes of that is all just Tim Reed in the sky, and and it's amazing because and you know there's a really great kind of speech he gives about you know you're either a you know you're, you're either you're either conqueror you're, you're a conqueror or you're a survivor and and it, it just i just it was a wonderful kind of framing it's a very aaron sorkin-esque episode before there was an aaron sorkin <laughs> and that's the other thing it's a show that has hugh wilson's fingerprints over every episode like he he did a he did a final draft on everything and and you can really tell that like he it really has a it really has a unified kind of I was written by a showrunner kind of feel, feel, feel to it, which, uh, in a good way, like, you know, there's a lot of shows that I feel sometimes feel, you know, someone like Chris Carter is kind of dumbing down, but, but, um, but this, but this is the, except, this is the exception that kind of makes, that makes the sort of showrunner system seem like a good idea. 
I mean, let's let's face it. Nostalgia is just kind of the 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 currency of the day. So a show like WKRP could very easily be rebooted. I think in the news today, they're bringing back Max Headroom. You know, um, if they did bring back WKRP, how would that work? How could you imagine in in modern with with media the way it is? Would it be a podcast? Would it be uh, the the last days of a radio station with digital streaming? How how would something like that work? If if you could put it together. Sorry, I was distracted by having to having to Google the fact that Max Headroom is coming back. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I, I think it'd be something like you suggest. It, it'd be it'd be like a radio station on on its last legs, you know, trying to figure out some way to stay alive with with hemorrhaging ad money um, and 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 sort of and sort of doing that. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I think I think it's the sort of premise of it would probably stay much the same and just sort of be mildly updated. I think it's one of the shows that, I mean, it was, it was taped in front of a live audience. Um, and, and it really, and what, and, and it was made by MTM, which was Mary Tyler Moore's production company. And, and they did just about every single show they did was on film. Except for WKRP, which was on tape, because basically Hugh Wilson needed to funnel as much money as possible into the music rights. <laughs> so, so they did it on videotape because it was cheaper, so they could actually have the money to, money to put on the music to actually have on you know credible on screen music. So, but I don't think you can do it like that anymore. So I think I think it's, it would kind of have a very different look and feel to it. And in some ways, I'm not quite sure. I mean, the great thing about WKRP is that it had that kind of proscenium arch, uh, videotaped kind of sitcom feel, and 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 I think and I think the way I would do Max Headroom, I'm sorry, the way I do Max Headroom, uh, the, there's another edit point for you there, Brent. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the way I would do WKRP is I would I, I would do it single camera. I would do it, or uh, or I would do it steady cammed, or I would do it in a set with like four walls, and and you know, and so that you, you know, because anyone who knows WKRP really well knows that the architecture of that station does not actually work. Like, <laughs> like, like it's the how, Overlook Hotel of radio stations. Yeah, it really is. Like, how do you get? How do you get? How do you get from from the bullpen to the to the, to to the uh, to the to the DJ booth to to the program manager's office? Like, there is no actual way that actually works. And also to get and to get back to the lobby. Like, there's just it. It, it actually doesn't work. Um. So. I think I, I think uh, so yeah but you but I do it like with with walls and it, it would be steady cammed and it would it would look it would look and feel like a radio station which would be great but at the same time I kind of go that's a genius ideogram but I'm not sure if it would feel like WKRP but yeah I mean you know on the other hand you know they did one day at a time as a as a as a pure sitcom with the with the whole proscenium march videotape feel and, and and it was brilliant so they could just go back to doing it the same way who knows hmm. all right i'll throw this one at you then how do we do a wkrp in cincinnati doctor who crossover we don't you don't do crossovers. <laughs> 
Come on, come on! Don't, don't even, don't. How, how are? Why are you sullying me with a, with a, with a, with a question like that? I, I, I do not believe in crossovers. I, I do not. Um, uh, I, I, the angriest I have ever gotten as a fan was when the was when the Star Trek Doctor Who comic came out, and I was like, this is, this is an insult to everything that is good and decent. And how dare you? How dare you, sir? I said good day. Um, I just got my copy signed. <laughs> of course you did so yes no i i nah, you don't do a crossover but what you do is you can you can you could you could get jan smithers to play a scientist on on uh on on uh with shooty gotwa and i and i would go hey it's jan smithers great to see her again fantastic i i would i'd be totally into that <laughs> Well, before we let you go, is there anything that you want to plug? Uh, any kind of upcoming projects that you're working on? Oh gosh, uh, I guess the one I can I can plug. I, I'm not sure if the uh, the uh, I don't think the Kickstarter started for this yet, but uh, I am in the process of working on a biography of Phil Hinchcliffe, who was the producer of Doctor Who from 1974 to 1977, and produced uh, Tom Baker's first three seasons of Doctor Who, and produced such classic stories as pyramids of mars the brain of morbius the ark in space the face of evil and many others we discussed today <laughs> um so yeah i was in britain actually doing research for that i got to meet i got to i got to have a lovely lunch with uh, philip um uh, actually yeah it was really great and uh and so yeah um so i'm in the middle of kind kind of writing that i'm hoping to submit a manuscript in september and i think uh, we're gonna turn it out so that it's so that some copies will be available at Gallifrey and yeah it will be it's it's from the good people at Cutaway Comics who are doing those very fine adaptations of Omega and uh and Paradise Towers and and all those and all those other really fine comics that are coming out right now so yeah it's it's uh it's 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 a really great project I'm proud to be a part of so yeah that's a that, so and there'll be a big kickstarter for that if it hasn't started already it will be starting soon so yeah keep an eye out for it well, as soon as it does, we'll make sure we share it on, on all of our media feeds. Please yep. do. Well, Graham, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. This has been great. Um, yeah, yeah. And I look forward to talking to you about the Max Pedram reboot sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout-out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at Facebook.com slash Pixel Who. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on Patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. You should have been here for the big uh, wig promotion. <laughs> Well, uh, naturally, it didn't work. And we ended up with a warehouse full of wigs. Carlson, <laughs> he couldn't figure out how to get rid of them until the Guatemalan earthquake. <laughs> well, the Red Cross called out, you know, for uh, blankets, clothes, anything. So Carlson, out of the goodness of his heart, shipped these destitute earthquake victims in Guatemala 3,000 blondes. <laughs> have this picture in my mind of quake victims stumbling through the rubble all looking like Dolly Parton
wondered, wondered whatever became of me. I'm living on the air in Cincinnati, Cincinnati WKRP. Got kind of tired of packing and unpacking, town to town, up and down the dial. Once in a while Heading up that highway Leaving you behind Hardest thing I ever had to do Broke my heart in two But baby, pay no mind The price for finding me Was losing you Help me hide my lonesome feeling Far away from you and feeling low It's getting late, my friend, my love, I miss you so Take good care of you, I've gotta go